Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Ghost Spider Groupies, the podcast dedicated to Gwen Stacy of Earth-65, also known as Spider-Gwen and Ghost Spider, where we review her comics, discuss news, and give our opinions about all things Gwen-65. I'm Pex. And I'm Abigail. So before we get into today's comics discussion, there's not really a lot of news for this week's Weekend update. The only thing that comes to mind is that the Gwen vs. Carnage trade paperback it was supposed to come out on July 21st, but it has been pushed back to another week. So it's now coming out July 28th, I guess, probably because the printer ran out of paper again. Again. <laughs> yeah, uh, is that, that's the, so that's the second delay then to that book. Yeah, it was supposed to be the 15th, but then 21st and then now the 28th, unless if it gets pushed again. Yeah, that's... um. That's strange. Um, so yeah, we're, uh, we're we're getting into uh, weapon of choice this week then for our uh, our read. Yeah. So uh, last week we did Night Gwen, Heroes Reborn Night Gwen, which is a tie-in to an event at the moment, uh, which was kind of separate from our uh, overall read of the Spider Gwen books, which we're now back on. Um, the last episode we did was uh, about this run was the Spider Women episode. We had a really good time. The folks from the To Know Her Is To Fear Her podcast. Um, I really recommend uh, listening to that if you haven't already. But we're basically uh, exploring the aftermath of that event with this arc here. Uh, Cindy 65 and Silk were more or less defeated, but not before uh, Gwen lost her powers quite irrevocably. All she's got now, the sort of new status quo we're entering into, is a limited number of spider power ups for her to continue being a superhero so she can like use them it gives her a temporary burst of spider powers and then it goes away and and she's only got like five or six of these limited supply um we're going to be getting uh getting into this arc but uh, just a note if you want to know where to read this comic book we're going to put links in the description so it's a big uh reading list of all spider gwen go spiders comics and uh where um where you can look to buy them, uh, a link to the Comixology page, so you'll know what it looks like um, and which issues it is. Uh, just a note that uh, the arc we're reading, Weapon of Choice, uh, when it was collected as a trade paperback, it did include issue number 13, uh, but we're not doing issue number 13 today because it fits much, much better with next week's arc, Long Distance. The four issues we're exploring today are all about a very sort of specific sequence of events. Uh, it's a full arc. Um, issue number 13 is set quite outside of that. Um, and, uh, and and it sort of fits with the the tone and themes of the issues we'll be getting into next week. So uh, th- that's why we're doing it that way, basically. So to uh, kick things off with Weapon of Choice, following Captain America's endorsement and George Stacy publicly Ranging uh, his support for the manhunt for Spider-Woman that he originally started, public opinion around Spider-Woman is beginning to turn somewhat. Thus, District Attorney Foggy Nelson becomes unwilling to enable Frank Castle's vendetta against her, even as he claims that Gwen Stacy is Spider-Woman. Without her powers, Gwen struggles with day-to-day life, finding the task of carrying groceries up the stairs to her apartment to be exhausting now. Meanwhile, Castle stalks from afar, convinced of the truth about her secret identity. Gwen tries to avoid spending time with her friends, but Glory Grant convinces her otherwise, and so she goes for a night out with the Mary Janes. They watch the Earth-65 Valkyries, a metal band, 
play a gig where Gwen discovers a taste for crowd surfing, visit an arcade, go to Max Dillon's Electric Avenue, and the newly refurbished and bought out Dollar Dog. Since the lizards attacked uh, not long ago, Mr. Albee, the owner, was forced to sell out and now finds himself doing menial labor with no stake in the business anymore. Feeling guilty about what happened, Gwen has a crisis of confidence in herself and considers flushing the last of her spider power-ups for a moment. But just then, an armed robber answers the store. Frank Castle, who is still stalking Gwen at this time, reveals himself, however, and brutally puts the situation down. Gwen goes to confront him, and Castle attacks her, much to the Mary Jane's dismay. Gwen powers up and throws the Punisher through a window, declaring she wasn't afraid of him and isn't going anywhere. She quickly panics, though, and realizes that she needs to make the most of the power-up and swings off into the night. Realizing he needs help in taking her down, Frank Castle enlists the services of Craven in taking Spider-Woman down. Meanwhile, Gwen spent the night fighting some small-time instances of crime before her powers ran out and she had to stop at her father's home. There she has a heart-to-heart with him and expresses the desire to stop being Spider-Woman, but George emphasizes that Gwen needs to be able to continue protecting herself from the Punisher. At this point, Craven attacks the Stacy residence using a menagerie of animals. With May Parker from next door buying her some time in a distraction, Gwen manages to activate a power-up, but Craven destroys the device which lets her use them moments after. He places Gwen in a restraining hold and unmasks her long enough for Frank Castle to film the encounter. George surprises Frank, however, knocks him out, destroys the recording, and calls in the regular police. Shortly after, Gwen regains control of the situation and knocks out Craven too. George explains that he needs to go to the police with everything that he's done and what Frank Castle's doing, but Gwen knocks him out cold to stop him from doing this, carrying him away from the scene. In the aftermath, Craven finds one of Spider-Woman's power-ups on the ground and passes it back onto Frank Castle. Gwen finds herself completely powerless now, unable to even stop the bodega bandit, but just heckle him from afar, so she takes refuge at Reed Richards' home with her father and enlists the genius's help in repairing the power-up device. Frank Castle takes the stolen power-up to Norman Osborne, who he blackmails into using his resources to discover how the power-ups work. All the while, Gene DeWolf and Ben Grimm have been assigned to track Castle and his dubious line of inquiry into the Spider-Woman case. Gene attempts to appeal to Frank's better nature, but he remains determined to take down Spider-Woman. Gwen calls Jessie Drew, who informs her of how dangerous Frank Castle is. Gwen realizes that she needs help and considers her options, but finds that everyone on Earth-616 is either too busy or in too dangerous a situation to be much help to her current crisis. While on Earth-65, she finds herself too embarrassed to go to Captain America with her current predicament, leaving only Matt Murdock the Kingpin as the only person whom she considers to go to help for. Reed fixes Gwen's broken power-up device by building it directly into her web shooters. Now powered up, Gwen heads off to fight the Punisher. Castle is prepared, however, and is armed with an Iron Man-like repulsor gauntlet that he wields to great effect against Gwen. Gwen notes that Frank Castle has become his job, always needing an enemy to fight, and always needing a war to wage. Just as he has her on the ropes, a now recovered George Stacy arrives, aims his revolver, and demands that the Punisher stand down. Castle is enraged, and so Gwen takes the opportunity to disarm his gauntlet by webbing it directly to his chest, but not before Punisher fires one last blast and partially destroys the building that George was standing on. Gwen goes to assist her father while Punisher runs away, still unable to use his gauntlet and having run out of ammo for his revolver. 
Gwen is defeated, not knowing how to end the cycle of violence with the Punisher, but George insists on handing himself over to the police, considering the whole situation the result of his prior bad decision-making. Two weeks later, Gwen is still distraught that her father is still in custody and finds herself working a fast-food job at the Dollar Dog again. Gwen decides to approach and make a deal with the Kingpin, Matt Murdock, offering her abilities as Spider-Woman to get legal support for her father. And that has been weapon of choice. So something that we sometimes like to do is uh, total up the amount of swears in the Stacy swear jar. So uh, after Spider-Woman, the uh, jar came to $20. During this arc, she swore twice. With once in number 10 when Craven's animals were uh, invading their, uh, their house. Uh, Gwen was like, what the fuck is even happening right now? And then uh, once in issue number 12, when she was fighting the Punisher, like she thinks that the reason why uh, he's coming after her is because, and I quote, because you got your ass beat by a girl. And that's a reference to, uh, I think, in Most Wanted when they had their first fight. And then Frank saw her face, but he wasn't able to figure out who she was because he was like, you're just a girl. And then, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah that's why Gwen quips like that. So the oh, right. yeah. So the total this far as a weapon of choice is $22 in the swear jar. See, I, I thought that was just a reference to uh, when she throws him through the window at the bodega, but that makes much more sense as a as a sort of callback to that most wanted fight. It could have been that too, like when he was um being thrown out. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, $22. Gwen Stacy. What is happening? That's great. That's great. Okay, so uh, let's get into let's get into our thoughts on uh, this arc here because it's only four issues, but I'd say there's a lot of character work going on here. A lot of a lot of angst, a lot of uh, a lot of heart to hearts between different people. Would you agree? Yeah, because uh, Gwen spends the majority of this arc uh, feeling depressed that she's all uh, depowered and she doesn't know how to get back on her feet. So she has to uh, talk with her friends and family about what to make of her situation. Yeah, 100%. And, and I found that like the way the arc opens uh, on a very downbeat note where Gwen is just sort of persevering up a part, uh, flight of stairs after flight of stairs carrying these groceries and uh, completely out of breath uh, when she gets to the top. And we've never really seen her like that before. And, uh, you know, it, it is... Um, it is a completely different paradigm for her. She is she's completely powerless when she doesn't use the power ups now, and um, it really like they they really want you to know this. They want you to know uh, as the reader that is, um, you know how much this is affecting her, um, and it really comes through like throughout this arc. I'd say Gwen is completely uh, just just seems beaten uh, by uh, the world around her, and 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 really sort of the state of her powers and. And how much she sort of wants to get back to using them, I suppose. Yeah, I think the expression here would be she's down in the dumps. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I'd agree. And um, yeah, there was some really, uh, I guess, like the moments with the Bodega Bandit. Uh, she has quite a few of them in this arc. But they were all they all seemed very, like, dark because he's this sort of, I don't know, like, you know, he he's a complete opposite of Gwen. You know, he doesn't care about anything. He just sort of uh you know just does what he's doing and um there's there's like a couple of moments where it's almost like he's got this very apathetic 
uh, cynical approach to things, like where she's asking him, you know, how how comes you keep getting out of prison? And he's like, yeah, he's got some, you know, presumably rich father who just keeps bailing him out, and and none of it really mattered to begin with. And it's it's a very sort of um, dire, I guess, situation. And and she really questions like how, I guess, essential she is, and and how much good she is actually doing for the world. Yeah. But remember that moment where um, the bodega bandit attempts to stick her up in the dollar dog, but she just throws him out. Yeah, because like she's had enough. Yeah, and that that was completely depowered as well. Like I thought that was, um, I thought that was impressive. Really, that's that's the that was it was a real big show of strength. And uh, yeah, she is completely fed up at the end of this arc. She's got no time for the bodega bandit anymore. Um, you know, she's got like bags under her eyes and. Yeah, com- completely beaten by the the sort of the whole scenario that she's she's found herself in. She's um she's sort of gradually lost control over uh, over everything really, and and go- going off on at sixty five right now. But before she threw him out, like she had this wholesome scene with Bodega Bandit, where yeah, after he mentions that his uh father gets him out of prison, but you know um he offers uh, her his burger, saying that he wasn't really hungry anyway. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was that was nice, but like again, I I find that quite dark almost because you know this guy he doesn't need the burgers. He's not. He's getting bailed out by his rich father. He's just, yeah, it just he's he's doing it because I don't know. Maybe maybe it's some kind of like you know because he's bored or something. I, I it's. No, I want to point out that mm. the restaurant that he stole the burgers from is called Bucky Barnes. Oh, right. Okay. okay, that's funny. Yeah. Another fast um, food place. Yeah, and Bucky Barnes is already, there's already stuff named after him, isn't there? There's, there's already a... Like, yeah, there's already the James Barnes Medical Center. Yeah, he apparently got around, I suppose. But, like, there's no E in this uh, Bucky Barnes. It's just literally, like, Barnes, like, uh, the house at the farm. I see. Of course. That makes sense. Um, nice. We forgot about the uh, that long-winded angsty text never sent to glory. Oh yeah, yeah. There's um again in that that opening scene. Um, there's this there's this whole bit where like she's texting back and forth with Glory, who's who's very keen to get her out of um, the apartment, and and uh, Gwen, who's not really into it, and um, sort of Glory asks for the truth, but Gwen doesn't um, doesn't particularly want to. To, like she knows she can't say it but she does type out like a message draft where she just completely pours her heart out and it's uh yeah no i say it's dark but like it's literally dark every every single one of the panels is very sort of yeah it's very it's almost like washed out in a way like her face is obscured and everything but yeah she's she's still feeling very guilty you know for as it says here for accidentally killing peter for for not really uh being sure whether like her identity and that she's not even able to do good as Spider Woman now, even if she tries, because she's not got enough power ups. And it's this this huge, huge dilemma. And and in the end, she opts not to to sort of really do that and just 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 give in and go out with the with the Mary Janes. But I did like that crowd surfing scene. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting moment of catharsis for Gwen. Yeah. But at the same time, she's frantic about her bag of power ups being tossed aside. 
Yeah, I think it's kind of symbolic, really, because because that is what she wants to do, right? She wants to let go of the bag of power-ups. She wants to sort of have fun and be free. Um, and, and this scene here sort of shows that characterization. That is what she wants to do at this point. Um, anyway, she wants to be free of that, the sort of the, the responsibility, I guess. But um, yeah, I thought that was a really neat characterization and a way of showing that for Gwen. Uh, and it, yeah, it's really fun. Yeah, and then you mentioned the dark moment with Reed. Yeah, um, I suppose we'll talk a bit more about Reed later. But but yeah, particularly like for Gwen, she is very desperate here. And there's, there's this really sort of awful moment where she's having this conversation with Reed and she's explaining like how the Punish is after her. And he sort of goes, well, well what stops the Punisher from coming in here and, you know, hurting my family and me? And she's like, nothing until you fix the uh, the devices. And it's like, whoa, okay, bit much. And and yeah, no, Gwen is Gwen is extreme. Like she is much much more desperate here, um, because she has this. Uh, she has this manhunt. She has the Punisher uh, actively after her, um, and she's not really got many allies to turn to at this point, or at least not any allies that she's willing to turn to. Um, I, I found that like. You know, she very much should have asked, I think, you know, somebody like Captain America 65 for um, assistance. Um, but she's sort of, she's almost too embarrassed to go to any of the people that she actually respects. Um, and and I, I think that sort of, unfortunately, it puts her in a very uh, difficult position. Um, and 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 that, that will only spiral out of control as long as she, she sort of continues on that path, I suppose. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because you know, at the end of the day, she practically made a deal with the devil. Yeah, yeah, um, and they and they really lean into that um, that aesthetic there. But the, but that that is that is the vibe you get from the conclusion of this is that uh, Gwen sort of looked at the options on the table. She's looked at this desperate situation where she's she's dwindling. Uh, she's got a dwindling amount of power, and uh, um, yeah, she decides to make a deal with the with the devil to sort of sort of get that uh, that power back in some small way, I suppose um yeah it's it's rough it's rough um and and matt murdoch's a real piece of work as well and we'll we'll get into that down the line i suppose so uh, uh george stacy also gets a lot of play in this arc he's he's got a lot to do here he's um he's consistently i'd say helping out gwen in fights like i don't think there's many fights in in these issues where you know i mean uh at least from like Last last couple of issues, you know, he's there fighting Craven, he's there fighting Punisher. He's he's very much in the thick of it with Gwen um, until he hands himself in. Um, and and yeah, like I I would argue that there's like several moments in this where if it wasn't for him, he, you know, Gwen would be completely um would would have lost several of these fights. And I think that that sort of that just emphasizes the loss, I guess, at the end of this arc when he does hand himself in that, that Gwen no longer has that ally uh, to assist. Uh, in, in fighting all these supervillains yeah um, um i guess that makes george somewhat the father of the year and we're taping this on a monday father's day was just the other day so i guess this is a pretty uh good highlight for uh captain stacy to be father of the year yeah yeah he is and and i i do think that like this uh this sort of um back and forth uh, this very the the father daughter dynamic is is the emotional core of this book, um, and uh, yeah, hundred percent. He's he's a, he's a, he's a father of year for for sure, um, and uh, his his sort of whole shtick here is that uh, he views the manhunt as his responsibility, and he's been trying to actively uh, renege on it for a bit now. Um, I would suppose 
um, you know, it's sort of the hinting at the, like, he's making YouTube videos about it and stuff. But but with that, I think with, with what he's trying to do now is he's trying to find his, uh, an even bigger platform, I suppose, to, to publicly denounce the manhunt on Spider-Woman. And, and that's his plan for stopping, like, people like the Punisher and stuff um, and for making Gwen safe is to sort of fall on his sword, um, much to Gwen's dismay, um, I think. Because he thinks that the best way to resolve the situation is to turn himself in for aiding and abetting Spider-Woman. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it even says at the end there that he's like, is he denying legal counsel? So he, he wants to be in a position where he gets to talk the most, I suppose, to his own detriment, of course. Um, but 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 in a way which will allow him to to more publicly voice his support for Spider Woman, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. But um, on the other side of the uh, police, we got um, the main antagonist of this arc, if you will, uh, the Punisher. So Frank, like, even though he's practically just like his six one six counterpart, and that he's a um, indiscriminate in uh, uh, waging war on almost everyone. He's much more of a maniac in this universe. Yeah. And I think, yeah, definitely this whole arc, it feels like the Punisher versus Spider-Gwen. Like this is where I think the Punisher shines most in this arc more than he does in any other. I mean, he's obviously his recurring villain um, from, from the start uh, in this book, but but 100% here, I, he, he comes through as this, uh, this sort of very brutal uh, foe for Gwen to fight. And, and the thing is like, he's not like, you know, a massive physical threat to Gwen, but he d- he does keep ending up in these situations where he he's he's sort of he's scheming and he's plotting and he's hunting and he's um uh, he's coming up with these different strategies to try and take out Gwen, um, and uh, yeah, I I, I think it, that's a that's a really interesting angle, um, on the on the character there. But yeah, like you say, he's he's just sort of waging war for the for the sake of war, really. I mean, that's his whole shtick, right? But when you said like all that scheming, trying to come up with ways to hinder Gwen, that kind of sounds more like Doc Ock to me. Yeah, yeah, he's he's um, I think I think the Punisher in in this book is a, is maybe a more cerebral villain than 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 what we give him credit for. You know, hundred percent. You know, he's he's trying to find um, you know, like elaborate uh, I say elaborate, but but like relatively intelligent ways of taking Gwen down. Like I think, um. I think the first fight he has with Gwen, which goes very poorly for him in in the in the first issue of this uh, arc, where he gets thrown through the window, um, I don't think he intended to to actually fight Gwen there and then. I think it sort of just happened that he saw the robbery and wanted to stop it, um, and he does that, um, but but then finds himself uh, sort of overextended, I suppose. Um, but when he does have time to plan, like you see in the second issue, and he's enlisted Craven, and he's got Craven and, and his fighting going on. Um, you know, if it wasn't for George Stacy, he would have been completely successful. Um, he he would have um, he would have successfully uh, filmed um, like Gwen Stacy's Spider Woman, um, and and you know, regardless of whether or not Craven won that fight, he would have you know, uh, Punisher would have won the war there. And uh, you know, uh, going into the third issue, uh, we again see that he's um, he's armed with his um, yeah, he's armed with his Iron Man gauntlet. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's interesting really because he's not used it prior. But um, I think in doing that, it meant that Gwen completely underestimated him. And in that fight, like again, he would have beat Gwen, hundred uh, percent. He he had Gwen uh, dead to rights uh, if it wasn't once again for George Stacy uh, for 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 sort of uh, distracting him momentarily. Um, and and that that gauntlet is super cool. Like it's got a bunch of things going on with that, right? 
Yeah, he's shooting repulsors. Uh, what else can he do with it? Is it's he got like shooting. Um, yeah, it's mostly shooting. Um, it's got. I think it's got a few different settings, but like. Oh yeah, electric shock. The electric shock as well. So like when when Gwen goes to try and take it off his hand, it, it shocks Gwen. There's the really big blast, which sort of completely destroys. I say completely, mostly destroys that building that that um George was stood on. It's um it's an absolute powerhouse, and I think it's a really neat callback to sort of try and fold, like because it's a very much an Iron Man repulsor, and trying to fold that sort of aspect of his origin, uh, where he used to work for for Tony Stark. Um, I think is very interesting. Um, and then I think when his gauntlet becomes unusable, he then resorts to his um, uh, mind upon his usual weapon of choice, like in 616, guns. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and he uses uh, uses that revolver. And, and the thing is, like, it's not like, because, yeah, he completely, he empties the revolver. And it's that point where he realizes he's completely out of weapons and he's uh, he's overextended. And again, he sort of runs away. Um but but yeah, you know, um, he he's um he's a really sort of imposing villain. But I think, I think at the end of this particular arc, this whole war he wants to wage against Gwen, it's sort of, I I don't know, like I I think he sort of loses heart there at the end, where Jean DeWolf is pleading with him to stop, and he's failing, and he's causing all of this destruction. Um, there's this sort of moment of realization, perhaps. Um, this is definitely him at his worst towards Gwen, I would say, and uh, I think it comes through that um, that, that yeah, it, 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 he does very much separate himself from the police here. Like yeah. he he's no longer acting under under their jurisdiction. You know, he's going against Foggy Nelson's wishes. Uh, Gene DeWolf, his partner, who's been fairly loyal to him in the past, sort of loses faith here in, in him as well. So yeah, his his whole shtick sort of changes here on out now. He's got a sort of different thing going on, I suppose. Now I'm just trying to imagine like what it would be like if John Berndahl played this version of the Punisher because Pax, have you watched um MCU's Punisher? Uh I haven't. I have seen Daredevil season two. Uh so I'm I'm like familiar with the character. But like you see how like the character in the MCU is like unhinged there too. He's not yeah, he's not doing so hot. Um yeah. Um Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. And I think like that whole um that whole idea of him trying to continue waging this war uh in spite of everything yeah and um, he doesn't even yeah. have a person to bring him down to earth because like in the mcu it was a uh, karen page uh that brought him down to earth yeah uh yeah um the, the earth 65 punish is very untethered like the thing they start with saying is that you know like his family has left him and uh gene the wolf i suppose has got some kind of rapport with him but but really outside of that he 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 sort of ignores most people and um yeah he's he's completely just just obsessed and and a, and he's a very violent sort of individual and he hides behind i guess suppose the um legality of what he a lot of what he's doing you know he he does have the badge and stuff at this point so um but and there's this whole bit about where george stacy's like i don't want to let him hide behind the badge and and such uh that you know being a being a police officer but but yeah he's definitely yeah he's definitely not great that's for sure um yeah so um we have craven next yeah craven uh 
really interesting and he only appears in this arc but but very cool he's very uh he's got that whole like Rasputin beard going on and uh is that like a like a tiger or a lion's vest like a lion crop top vest thing yeah, i don't know i think it's great there's also a loincloth is it like in front of his pants yeah it's uh, yeah it's definitely an accessory not he's not relying on it i don't think um <laughs> uh yeah uh, yeah, he's got, but then, then he's got trainers as well. But but yeah, he's uh, he's got a very. Um, it looks like he could be in a, a band for something almost. He's got he's got a very uh, got like kind of a style, I suppose. But yeah, he's he's really interesting, and I haven't seen this done with other types of uh, Craven that I've other interpretations of this character. But he he's like actively using um, like animals to fight for him like snakes and and that orangutan and and the panther and stuff like he's. Yeah, like he's pretty them. reliant on animals in this universe because all of his other iterations, they rely on traps and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, he, he's working with, like, animals and wildlife more than, well, I'd say, just as much as, as he hunts them, presumably. Um, and I think that's an interesting take on them. Um, and, and they almost seem quite intelligent, especially the orangutan with the with the, with the the bow tie and stuff. Um, yeah, they... Yeah, they 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 they're used in a really interesting way, and uh, there's there's this really overwhelming moment where like all of this is happening, and it 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 almost seems really hopeless for George and and Gwen to sort of fight their way out of it. Um, for sure, it was uh really um really quite interesting. But but he's um like Craven's uh, mostly just motivated by this this debt that he's got owed to to Frank. Is that right? I think it's because uh. Well, it mentions in his bio that uh, Craven used to work for Stark's War Machine division. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and yeah, and they hint at it in that opening, uh, opening scene of that issue, um, where where Frank Castle hints that they've they've worked together before, and um, they he, Frank Castle sort of just en- enlists his help, and um, as far as Craven's concerned, like his involvement ends when he obtains the power up that Gwen left behind. So he's no he's not like motivated by I guess power and ego as much as the other villains that we've seen. He's more of a cut and dry uh mercenary, I suppose. Cause yeah, it says that um he's a soldier of fortune, so he'll do anything yeah. f- uh if when he gets paid. Yeah, and um yeah, I thought that was um I thought that was interesting, and uh, there was some other interesting stuff in his character profile. Because obviously, I'm, um, uh, you know, when you when you read the arc, uh, it becomes evident that like he's able to match Gwen's strength somewhat. Like obviously, not completely. He gets beaten uh, back pretty easily, but for a short time, he does restrain her. Um, and I was quite curious about that. But but this Craven does, uh, and it's confirmed in the character profile here. He does actually have superhuman strength. Um, and it says here, due to uh, the the Cravenoffs, uh, the family's arcane uh, workout and diet regimen. So I don't know if there's like some elements of magic uh, mixed in with his uh, his workout routine or something. Um, but but he's uh, he's yeah he's a physical challenge for Gwen uh, in a way that uh, like Punisher isn't, uh, which I thought was quite interesting. Because well, at least this Craven. Because you mentioned something about magic, right? Yeah, it uses specifically in his character profile. It says to estrange an arcane workout regimen that's passed down by his ancestors. So, yeah, um, 
that that's the sort of reasoning that the character profile gives there and i, I do think like arcane vibes kind of fit craven. oh yeah because at least like this craven isn't cursed with you know the immortality that um remember like um 616 craven where only the spider can kill him which will he then finally die yeah yeah he uh he did he doesn't sort of have that going on yeah he, he does have elaborate like family history and stuff going back a while but but yeah he doesn't uh yeah he doesn't have anything quite like that um here in the character's profile anyway well at least this craven didn't bury gwen in the ground for two weeks and try to impersonate her yeah no he uh he's not had that much play yet no but like i'm just wondering what a possible craven's last hunt on earth 65 would look like That'd be interesting. I think there's a lot of room to flesh out this character. There's a lot of stuff about like him being born of Russian aristocracy and uh, and stuff. And I think there's there's some interesting aspects to that. Like, yeah, I'd um, I'd love to see um, I'd love to see more of this Craven uh, down the line. Definitely, definitely, uh, he's definitely still active. He's not like in prison or anything. He's sort of he he just sort of stops hunting, I suppose. Yeah, I think he just goes back to like whatever he was doing and. Yeah, he's pretty much not seen again. Yeah, yeah. So uh, who who else we got here? Who else we got? Uh, Gene DeWolf um, gets um, gets quite a bit of play in this arc. Um, it's it's mostly her being very dismayed at what Frank Castle is doing and being super upset about that. She almost doesn't believe uh, at first when when George tells her what 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 Frank's been doing. Because previously she's been quite loyal to the to the guy uh, earlier on in the run. Cause, yeah, they were like a pretty close partners. Like even in um, like Most Wanted, were they weren't they mostly seen together, or was that some other police officer? Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, Most Wanted, uh, Gene is like his partner the whole time, and and sort of yeah, like almost endorses him. And and the character profile stuff uh, for her elaborates a bit more on that. Sort of says that. Like he actively recruited Gene, um, and and yeah, like they sort of they they had a good working relationship, all things considered. Um, but but very much, uh, she is now like torn between like that loyalty to him and to her job, and, and as well as to the Stacys as well, because obviously she was um she was a big partner of George back in the day. Because, yeah, they, um, the both of them used to be in the Yancey Street Gang together. And, uh, like, we tease a little bit of uh, romantic subtext in Most Wanted because it says they had an intimate partnership. Yeah. Yeah, they did. And, um, yeah, it says, it says that in the character's profile there. It uses that, uh, that text specifically. So, yeah. Um, there's a, yeah, there's a, there's a couple of um, tidbits there in the in the character's profile which are interesting. She's definitely former Yancey Street Gang, like Ben Grimm and George Stacy was. So uh, that was that sort of uh, community gang uh, on Earth sixty five. They uh, did it to promote change or something. Yeah, they were sort of a more. Um, I guess they had more of a. Uh, yeah, they they were they were more of a building up the community type support network and. They got involved with with some gang stuff, like gang violence and stuff. But 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 in the end, <clears throat> it seems a lot of them ended up joining the police, and that includes Gene DeWolf. And that's why her and Ben Grimm and George Stacy are sort of part of this uh, club of, um, I say club like closer group 
of police officers that that interact with each other within within these comics. You mean like an inner circle? In a circle, yeah, they're kind of tight, and they they interact with each other more, I, I think, than than we see with other with other police officers. Uh, they they've got a different, so they've got a history there, I'd say. And then something interesting there is that um that she briefly took up a position of the security chief for Oscorp when she found out about corruption in the NYPD. Yeah, yeah. So um. Yeah, so uh, the the idea being uh, that that would explain why like she's mostly absent, I guess, for that that first arc of um. Uh, well, I see first arc, not the first. Arc. She's she sort of shows up after a bit, I think, right? Like, uh, so the explanation being that she was work she was working security job at Oscorp. Uh, after becoming disillusioned with the police, Frank Castle recruits her back in. Um, with with sort of trying to sell his brand of justice, and she's sort of uh, I guess drawn drawn in with that. Uh, and that's sort of how she's in the current situation she's in. Yeah, it's been a very up and down, I would say, relationship with Jean DeWolf and the police. And I'm I'm kind of sad that it's like mostly in the character profile because I think there's a lot of interesting characterizations they draw uh, from that. That that would be interesting to see more of in the main comic itself. Especially since in the fun fact it says, and I quote, "She has wedged the underwear of more jerk-faced male chauvinist patrolmen." in the New York Police Department than any officer in its history. Yeah, that's that's great. I love that. And uh, we, I think we've only seen that happen like once, a couple of arcs back. But yeah, 100%, uh, Jean's, yeah, Jean's very, very no-nonsense uh, about these sorts of things. Yeah, good for her, like uh, not being resorted to, used as a plot device for a murder mystery. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Uh, we also get a bit more of a uh, Reed Richards 65 in this arc. Um, he's not, he doesn't get a huge amount of, of, uh, of characterizations. He's, te- he tends to be in a support role. I find. Yeah. Cause he was only present to fix Gwen's isotope injector. And then also to confide in him about what to do with her, uh, punisher situation. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I mean, I like this character, and I find it unfortunate that he's basically like called upon by the writers to sort of just be the, um, like gizmo guy every every couple of arcs or so. Um, but yeah, he's he does have a couple of characterizations. That we mentioned that one earlier where he's like actively concerned about, um, like the nature of what Gwen's doing and how much it could potentially be putting him in danger, um, and. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's it's uh, I, I found that interesting, uh, but yeah, what what he does, uh, he fixes Gwen's power up device, which previously was like I don't know what what do we compare compare it to, like an insulin injector. Yeah, we compared um, it to insulin. Yeah, so no, but but now he's like built it into her web shooters directly. So he puts like the the batteries of the device in one web shooter, and then he puts the power ups in the other. And the idea being that when Gwen like. Uh, does like a Power Ranger type move and and bangs her wrists together in a particular motion that it uh, it activates the power up um, and she she regains her powers briefly as as we've seen previously and I thought that was quite nifty and there's um like every time that she powers up now there's this sort of very interesting panel where it like it shows like a like a neon X ray of of Gwen's wrists and the power up device and like the powers going into her veins it was very interesting. Uh, yeah, it's um, Reed Richards is a cool character. I wish I wish he got a bit more um, bit bit more depth to to his sort of his deal when he does show up. Um, yeah, 
we have to mention how um the stuff mentioned in this character bio where even though he's really really smart like he's been expelled from a lot of schools yeah yeah it sort of goes through it and like it, it goes over how much of an actual super genius reed richard 65 is and like how he's reading and doing all these experiments like when he's just a toddler uh, and then it gets like like into the schools he's going to all these different academies and he's setting stuff on fire all of the time and presumably in experiments and and all the cool stuff he's inventing and um like at this point he's uh he's 13 years old according to this character profile and he's he's had a lot of like the character prof uh the character profile goes into some detail on like some of his multiverse shenanigans one of them was being mentored by reed richards 56 and then reed richards 56 being killed by a rogue reed richards of earth 161 and then him having to fight earth 161's reed richards uh, wielding cosmic flames um it, yep. it also has very interesting and I, I i wish we could some of that uh at some point yeah i think he would just burn down wherever wherever he is with cosmic flames yeah right like um but it also says that he's in between schools right now like remember in spider woman when jess said that uh reed's the only kid that she knows to skip school to go study yeah yeah and that's the thing like i think school to him is more like it's it's not yeah it's not important like for the things he's doing he's able to you know do much more interesting things yeah he made the spider women's portal out of legos yeah what school's gonna help him do that i mean um yeah and i think um i think that's an interesting uh part of the character um for sure and i i do like how he sort of just becomes maybe this like i guess sort of a sounding board a bit for gwen um and this is the juxtaposition of gwen talking about all of this like angst that she's got with this like 13 year old genius kid like i've always found quite amusing and uh yeah it it comes up a few times uh i'd say throughout this run and even in mcguire's run it sort of gets referenced a little bit as well i suppose yeah but even in mcguire's run he still resorted to the guy that gwen goes to when needs when she needs help with tech yeah yeah it's uh yeah it's it's he's 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 very much stuck in that support role i'd love to see him break out of it um a bit more um maybe do some superhero stuff in his own right maybe maybe do some super villain stuff in his own right i don't know whatever direction he wants to go in with that character because i don't think he has i think he does have a maker potential but i don't think he's like that malicious yeah he's not mean-spirited but he does have that sort of um like Sometimes he get he gets himself involved with the darkest stuff that Gwen's doing, um, just because it's like this big challenge that he wants to do, and I I think that as a characterization is quite interesting, where he's sort of he's he's not necessarily uh, morally evil. He can just be a bit morally blind, I suppose, in some instances. I think he's just doing everything in the name of science or just to help a friend out. Yeah yeah did we want to talk about aunt may a little bit yeah may parker gets um a small appearance in the in the craven fight so there's this sort of um apparently she brings georgia pot roast every every week or something and i thought that was really every nice thursday. Yeah. every thursday yeah that's so nice and um and so she turns up with this pot roast um but they're in the middle of fighting like like all these different animals uh and, and may actually uses said pot roast 
to like, uh, distract the. Uh, is that supposed to be a panther? I think it's a panther. Yeah. And then like the uh, mind uh, boxes like said saved by pot roast worst superhero ever. Yeah, yeah, and I I do feel a bit feel a bit bad for uh, for. For, for that sort of whole situation i mean it's i don't know if it's a waste of a pot roast or not but but it did it did buy gwen enough time to activate a power up and sort of fight that fight and i i get the impression at this point that may parker has very much worked out gwen's identity like her her interactions with 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 gwen like she's mask she's got a mask on but um it, it does sort of seem that like at this point may's got a good idea and is she holding a hose when she's trying to uh distract the animals yeah, she uses um she uses a hose to to sort of fight them back a bit, like spray them down. I don't think I actually. Well, well I, I only see water coming out in one scene, but for the rest of this scene, she's just holding the garden hose. Uh right. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think that's an effective way of getting snakes to stay away. At least I don't know. Um, yeah, uh, I, I guess they get the situation to control pretty quick anyway, so it worked out. Um, but yeah, we'll be seeing more of May Parker, I think. Also, another player introduced, but in a minor capacity, we got Norman Osborn. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, obviously, we met Harry a couple of arcs ago, uh, but this is our first time meeting Norman um, in his offices at Oscorp. And and basically, what uh, the Punisher's doing here is is blackmailing him into researching Gwen's powers. And uh, this is very much set up for stuff coming further down the line. Um, but yeah, I thought it was quite interesting because it's very clear that he doesn't really want anything to do with Harry. Like, um, like Punisher's mentioning it, and he's like, "Nope, nope, don't want to, don't want to hear about it, don't want to know about it." Uh, and um, yeah, there's there's a lot, a lot of tension there, I suppose. Like, uh, I wouldn't say that this Norman is as neglectful as his uh, main counterpart, but he just doesn't want to take responsibility for what Harry did. No, no, and um, yeah, I think that's um. That's going to be a mistake in the long run, I suppose. Um, yeah, interesting character. He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't really get a huge amount of play, all things considered. But 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 yeah. He that this is very much set up for, for arcs to come. Um, we've got some of the minor appearances. Uh, Max Dillon, who is uh, well, I mean Electro usually, but here uh, his powers consist of just being able to make like his this elaborate Christmas light hat light up. Um, with who's got like very very mild electricity powers um and a, and a fancy suit but he's just running like is it like a back alley or something like yeah i think it just it's just called um maxwell Dil yeah maxwell avenue or something no electro avenue electro avenue yeah i like the song oh that's the song <laughs> yeah well, you know you've never heard that we're gonna go down to electric avenue i think i think it's scar <laughs> i don't listen to a lot of music I've definitely, I've definitely heard my dad listening to it a few times. I'm sure of that. Um, yeah, but that's, uh, I think that's more as another music reference with that character. Um, but yeah, Electro's, um, yeah, he's he's a little, it's, it's more of a cameo than anything. Yeah, because the um, only semblance to his mainstream counterpart is this color scheme, the classic green and yellow, and instead of a star mask, he uses um a visor. Yeah um yeah he's just uh yeah he's, he's just a, he's just a regular dude he's just doing his thing with his very very mild electricity powers that lets him light up light bulbs so yeah good for him good for him 
Um, who else? Else we got uh, the Valkyries of Earth 65 here. Yep, they're just like a metal rock band that sings about Norse mythology. They have no semblance to like the traditional Valkyries. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're wearing the same outfits, but uh, yeah, more or less, uh, they're, they're they're singing about Asgard and stuff. But yeah, they they are not super powered at all. I thought that was an, another another way of like incorporating Marvel stuff, but making it like a music reference. I think it's a very Earth sixty five thing to do. I always love it when they do that. Because uh, do you see that song lyric? Stab out Odin's eye. Watch that raven fly. I love that. That's. I think they. I think they had that one a few issues ago as well, didn't they? I like that. That's a good line. Yeah, because it's supposed to be a reference to like how um, like obviously like Odin like is, I think I'm not sure if his eye was stabbed or if he had to sacrifice it, but he does have ravens t- as surveillance. That he does. That he does. Um, who else gets a minor appearance here? Uh, we've also got Jesse Drew. Um, so the uh. Agent 77, Jessica Drew's counterpart on Earth-65, uh, who gave Gwen her power-ups. Uh, he, he, he provides a bit of intelligence for Gwen regarding um, regarding the Punisher. Like, he gives her a file and stuff on on him yeah, and but, explains how dangerous he is. Yeah, and at the same time, you know, um, he told her not to call her unless if it's an absolute emergency since, you know, they're still on the run from Silk. They're hiding out in the hotel. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, I, I like this because it's. I think it's a. It's a good way to just to do, confirm that they're uh, you know, like alive and well, and yeah, on the run from Silk. So, um, yeah, I don't. Jesse Drew is not really in a position to sort of come back. He doesn't have his powers. Um, he's on the run. Um, so yeah, I, but I did think that was a that was a fun way of sort of bringing him into the story there, just to sort of, you know, say he's still alive and stuff. And I kind of want to point out that, like in the flashbacks when he's in costume, that he does resemble Kane's Scarlet Spider. Yeah, I think without the webbing, but he's still got that spider mask. Uh, yeah, I can see that hundred percent, hundred percent. So yeah, uh, did we want to talk a little bit about the art in this issue? Uh, this issue, yeah. this arc. Yeah, so uh, this was uh, the standard team of uh, Robbie Rodriguez and Rico Renzi, except for issue number 10, which uh, which was colored by Lauren Aff? Affy? All colored or just partially colored by Lauren? I, I, think, I think Lauren did the bulk of the issue. And you can sort of tell because, like, Lauren colors Gwen's pink differently. It's, like, I think like I can it's a pink pink. Yeah, I think I can see the difference between uh, yeah, her and Renzi. Yeah, the uh, the color palette used by Lauren is is a lot softer, I would say, than than Renzi's. But but generally, is more or less more or less the same. And uh, I quite I quite like the the character designs all around that they had going on here. Um, I thought they were really solid because they they bring in a few new ones, um, and uh, I loved I loved how they. Uh, they, that that opening scene goes really hard. Uh, the combination of the lighting um, and and sort of just making the weight of of everything sort of feel heavy. Um, yeah, it's 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 grim and um, the the way the obscure Gwen's face and such really works. I I thought this is probably some of the best art that we got from Rodriguez in this run. Yeah, um, I feel that. Um... 
whenever he's capturing Gwen's despair, he did it really well. Yeah. Because you could tell that, like, she's just out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, oh, and, and this is also uh, this arc with that sort of classic picture of, of Gwen sort of in, in the fetal position in, in bed, like in the Spider Woman outfit. And, yeah, like, there's, um, there's a lot of really, I think, iconic uh i'd say panels and stuff with gwen um the the one where she's texting was really good uh the panel uh, the panels in the cravenoff mansion where it's all obscured by darkness love those those are excellent what about in the uh the nightclub scene where she's crowd surfing you know there's a lot of pinks blues purples yeah renzi's on point all the way through like there's the like he he i think really carries a lot of the artwork he makes it very aesthetically pleasing to look at by the way that he does lean into having a very focused color palette like he doesn't use very many with each panel and he just tends to go very very bright where he can and then or, or, or very dark to depend on the, on the mood that this, that's being sort of and the kind of energy that's in the scene but yeah you definitely feel like you can tell the mood and you can tell like the the vibe they're going for with each uh, scene depending on the colors that, that's being used and i think that's really really a fun way of doing it also, I think um, I think Rodriguez's uh, faces improve a little bit uh, in this arc as well because he's got kind of a weird-looking face that he draws for his characters, and uh, the the panels in this I found to be a lot. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think I see a difference between this and Edge. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely yeah, and and if you read like Rodriguez's uh, like most recent stuff, like in Batgirl, like his faces look much different in that um, than than what they do here. He's, he's definitely had a bit of an evolution in style um but yeah i thought that was um it was really cool oh and when gwen makes the deal with i guess i guess the faces aren't great here but 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 when gwen makes the deal with uh matt murdoch and there's like there's all the ninjas in the background i love that that's so great um but yeah i think all around i really enjoyed how like this whole issue looked and the mood of, of it all it was all very this issue i keep saying this issue this arc looked i thought i thought, I thought it really landed well yeah because this is supposed to be like a dark and depressing arc to to be fair, the next four are pretty dark. Yeah, um, I think this is def- just the first of many. Yeah, this this is this is when they first really really lean into the angst, and it comes through strong. And I I really do enjoy that aspect of it. Um, I'm yeah no, and I think a lot of what they're doing here is is largely set up. Um, there's obviously the resolution of, of sort of, I guess, the main conflict between Gwen and Frank. Um, and But by and large, most of what they're doing here, stuff like the deal with Kingpin, stuff like George Stacy being arrested, uh, stuff like Gwen sort of establishing her power up status quo and all that. This is stuff which sort of pays off more like an arc or two down the line. And uh, I think that's it's, it's, it's interesting, but very much in its own right, I like this as a sort of reflection on... Um, on feelings of powerlessness and and such um but yeah it's it's a new path for gwen we're we're sort of at the start of a new era uh, as we go further into this run and uh um, yeah i really enjoyed reading this arc for it um yeah solid stuff solid stuff i really like this arc yeah I, re- I really loved it too yeah um did you have any more thoughts that you wanted to say before we we wrapped up here or um now nah, i think uh we pretty much covered everything yeah yeah that works out so um 
next week we're going to be uh, reading long distance like we mentioned before we thought that uh, number 13 even though it is collected with weapon of choice it reads much more better of long distance because uh, it's practically a holiday arc at this point because like we're celebrating Halloween Thanksgiving and Christmas so yeah we thought it reads better because of the uh, tone and yeah that arc's featuring Mysterio there's more Jessica Drew we got even more Koala Commander who only appeared in the annual for a hot minute and even more Matt Murdock we'll put links in the description of where to uh, buy and read long distance and the reading list as well as the comiXology link we want to hear more of your guys thoughts too if you want to email us at ghostspidergroupies at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at GS Groupies, or drop a thought on the Reddit thread if that's more your speed. And is there anything else you wanted to add? No, that sounds good to me. I'm, uh, yeah, I think next week we've got, a, we've got an interesting set of issues. I'm looking forward to getting into them. Yeah, it's practically our big holiday special uh, next week. So Yeah, yeah. holiday special week. That's what we're doing. For this week's Ghost Spider Groupies, I've been Abigail. And I'm Pax. See you next time. Bye. Bye.